Open your Bibles uh, with me, if you would, to the book of Acts, or your device, chapter 16, Acts 16. We're not going to get very far in this this morning. We're going to go through about eight verses. However, uh, I want to lay some groundwork, <laughs> figuratively and literally. And as I was preparing for this, I was thinking about when Stacy and I lived in California, actually far northern California, before you just shut me off for the rest of it. Um, <laughs> very far northern. Uh, there was a program that came on called California Gold. And it was a guy, I think he was from Tennessee or somewhere, named was Huell Hauser. And, and what he would do as he went through and gave commentary, doing it was a travel show, and he would just go to different places all over uh, the state. And, and one of his favorite sayings was, that's amazing. And you'd be watching along, and then pretty soon you'd get a, that's amazing. And I would look at Stacy and go, that's amazing. And so I, I was thinking about that as I was preparing this, because I've got a lot of slides this morning, and I don't normally have this many slides, but you're going to get an amazing amount of slides this morning, because I really want for us to understand, when we read the Bible, it's two-dimensional, And as I study and as I was preparing for this, I I began to see things three-dimensionally. And hopefully you'll understand how that came about as we go, because it's not just point A to point B. A lot of times there are things that are going on in that uh, that really help us to understand what's going on in the larger story. So that's where we're going to focus today. Uh, I've, I've titled this study, The Road Ahead. Because the road ahead looks like a straight line when you look at the maps, but it's not. So uh, the background here is this is Paul and Silas uh, coming out of Antioch in Syria. A couple of Antiochs that we see in the, uh, on the map. One is in Syria, one is in Pisidia. We'll talk about that as we go because they head there uh, on the second journey. Uh, they came out of Antioch after Paul and Barnabas, his former traveling companion, had had a falling out. What had happened on their first missionary journey was Barnabas' nephew, John Mark, got as far <laughs> as uh, the southern shores uh, of Asia there, and we'll, talk, we'll look at where. But uh, he got down to Perga, Uh, coming from Cyprus. And then John Mark bailed out. He said, I'm not going any further. He went back home to Jerusalem. Paul didn't like that. And so then when they got ready, when Paul said, let's go back and visit the churches that we've already been to, now we've got this letter from Jerusalem, which corrects some bad thinking. And I want to get this distributed. Uh, Barnabas said, well, let's take John Mark. And Paul said, essentially, Absolutely not. And so they decided to part ways. Barnabas took John Mark back to the island of Cyprus, which is where they started the first journey. And Paul doesn't go there because that's covered now. But Paul takes Silas, who was an elder from the church in Jerusalem, who had come up with this letter from the apostle saying, no, 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 no. You don't have to live like a Jew to be a Christian uh, because that was the big contention there. And so now... The, 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 the group that had come from Jerusalem had gone back, except Silas had decided, oh, you know, I think I'll stick around. And so as he is, he uh, was a prophet. He was also a, a very reputable guy in Jerusalem, part of the church leadership there. Uh, and Paul began to see what was going on, see the fruit in this man's life. And so when Paul had the falling out with Barnabas, he said, what do you think, Silas? You want to go with me? I'm going to go back and visit the churches. And so they teamed up. So now uh, we look at in Acts chapter 15, verse 41, the last verse in verse 41, uh, where they take off from Antioch. So he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And then he came to Derby and Lystra. All right. Now in this first slide, I'm going to show you a map and just uh, try to follow along with me. I don't want to just get you all tangled in knots with looking at maps, but it's really important that we locate these places geographically because it helps us to understand these are real events that happened in real places with real people. They're not just Bible stories. So we look at this. This is a map of Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, And between 
Acts 15.41 and 16.1, which I just read, there's a lot going on. And I want to I take some time to develop that. So let's zoom to slide number two here, which is the inset you see on slide number one. And you see that the red line uh, going here, starting in Antioch, or the blue line starting in Antioch, was their outbound trip, him and Barnabas on their first trip. They went to Cyprus and then they went to Perga, Antioch and Pisidia, and then down to Iconium, Lystra and Derbe. Rather than go across to Tarsus, which was Paul's hometown, they decided to double back. And I mentioned that it's only about 100 miles as the crow flies from Derby to Tarsus. <laughs> and then I started studying the geography. It's not. Uh, but they doubled back because they wanted to tend to the people in the churches. Uh, it was very important to them that they that there be follow-up, that there be nurture to the believers that had come in their first, the first time they evangelized their way through to go back and to begin to build them up and to strengthen the churches. So they double back, they go all the way back to Italia and then they, they pass on Cyprus going back, the blue line going back, uh, and they go all the way back and end up back in Antioch. But if you notice the road here, they take the same route. That was called the Via Sebaste. Now, the, that's, <laughs> it was a Roman road. It was also called the Imperial Road. Uh, and I want to talk about that. It was a military road that was built through Galatia that was built by Augustus, who was the emperor when Jesus was born, around 6 BC. All right, so this road was relatively new. It, had, it was less than 100 years old at this time. And, uh, and, and so that road had been built by the Romans. Well, the question becomes, why was it built? And you got to go back in history a bit. And I found this fascinating. I, I hope that you see the, the value of it, uh, is, is going back and studying a people called the Gauls. And if you remember high school history or college history, there was a, a people called the Gauls, and they were Celtic people. All right? Now, if you look in Ireland, there are still Gaelic or Celtic people in, in Ireland and all of that. They came out of Europe, uh, but they grew in numbers and they were a fierce group. Uh, in, in 390 BC, the Gauls sacked Rome. They attacked Rome and they did a pretty good job. I'm not going to go into all the details, but the Roman army eventually pushed them back. And uh, so they moved to the east. And in 281, less than 100 years later, they invaded Greece uh, in the Balkan Peninsula, which is a whole area there, uh, to the east of, of, the, of Rome and Italy and all. Uh, and they got pushed back again in 279. Now, in 278, uh, there was a civil war in a place called Bithynia. And that plays a part in the text that we're looking at this morning. Well, in Bithynia, there was a civil war between two brothers, and uh, there was one, one of the brothers, was a guy by the name, name of Nicomedes. He hired 20,000 of the displaced Gaelic mercenaries to fight uh, on his behalf. So he imported, it was in the northern province, north of Galatia there. Uh, Galatia didn't exist yet. Uh, it, but it, he hired 20,000 of these mercenaries, fierce fighting force, and he won the war against his brother. As a result of that, he gave the Gauls a vast territory to the southeast, which was a great move militarily because it provided a buffer from him and other nations that were a threat to him. And he gave the Gauls this area and it became known as Galatia, Galatia. That's how the Galatians came about. All right. So now when Paul gets there a couple hundred years later, uh, these people, yeah, they're not at war, but they are still a fierce warrior bunch. So uh, they were a hardened people. They were a warrior people, and they were <laughs> they didn't mess around. And we saw that in his first missionary journey. They ran into a, they took a lot of heat uh, from different groups as they went through the land. So now this imperial road, as we see in slide two. Uh, on his first journey, it formed a large arc. It began at Perga and uh, possibly Italia. We don't know exactly where. 
It went north to Antioch and Pisidia, and then it turned east and went to Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. The purpose was uh, for the road was for Rome to be able to maintain order with the Gauls who had settled there. Uh, again, they were kind of a thorn in Rome's, Rome's side, and Rome wanted to make sure that they had a military presence. And so they not only built the roads, but they patrolled the roads, and they had, I, I can't remember the figure, but it, it was a huge amount of, of garrisons of soldiers that were active duty that they placed, and they stationed all over the empire. Galatia was a big place that they knew that they had to police. So uh, I'm not sure, and, and scholars aren't sure about how far the imperial road ran east of uh, Derby, as we look here, it possibly went all the way to Tarsus on the coast. We don't know. Map three, this is Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, and now as we get into Paul's second journey, it's about 50 AD probably five or, or so years after he completed his first journey with Barnabas. Now, he and Silas have set out on this trip. As I mentioned, Silas was a, a prominent guy from Jerusalem. <clears throat> and uh, he was one of the guys that uh, when they came from Jerusalem, the reason why Silas came was they had the apostles had written this letter correcting some of the bad teaching that was going on in Antioch, and they didn't want to just send it back with Paul and Barnabas. They sent it back with some other guys that could attest to the the accuracy and attest to the fact that this truly came from the apostles. So here's Silas. Uh, he's also known, it, it, I, I did some searching around, uh, it, Silas only shows up in the book of Acts if you go by that name, but he's a dual citizen. He is a, he is a Jew, uh, but we see in verse 37 that he's also a Roman citizen and his Roman name was Silvanus. And there's a lot more written about him uh, throughout the New Testament. So again, he plays a prominent role here. And all of that started with him just kind of scratching his head one day and saying, you know, I don't think I'll go back to Jerusalem right now. I think I'll wait a while and see what's going on here in Antioch. His whole life shifted and changed. So as we look at the, the third map here, the second journey, uh, Tarsus to Derby, as I mentioned, it, it's not just a hundred mile trip as the crow flies. It's not a straight line as you see here on this map. What I did is I looked at the geography. I overlaid a topographical map that showed the terrain as we see in, uh, in map four. Uh, and there's a circular inset here. And let's go ahead and zoom up to map five. And you can see there's a huge range of mountains that was in their way. And notice it says the Cilician Gates there, as they're going through Cilicia. Uh, these are the Taurus Mountains, all right? They were also the same mountains that they crossed when they came from the other side on their first journey, but the, because the Taurus Mountains ran along the whole southern flank of, of Asia Minor there. But here, there's only one mountain pass that goes through. These mountains are 11,000 feet high. Just to give you a point of reference, Mount Hood is 11,249 feet high. So we're not talking hills. We're talking huge mountains. And when they set out to go back and visit those churches, they knew that the road ahead was going to be tough. I think it's remarkably brave that Paul wanted to go back to Galatia. <laughs> he, he had, remember, he had gotten sick on his trip. He had suffered some illness, I, I think probably malaria because it affected his eyes and he was a sick guy, but he pressed on. It, was a, it, it had been a difficult trip because they'd gone over the Taurus Mountains there as well. Uh, and they had faced violent people. They had had to endure a lot of violence. Yet, and here's the point, folks, Paul counted the cost. What's it going to cost for me to follow Christ? What's it going to cost for me to carry out what he has laid out for me to do? And very often, folks, in our lives, we need to count the costs. My being a Christian has cost me fr friendships. It's cost me relationships with family members. It's cost me uh, career choices. I have job skills. I don't have to do this, but this is where God called Stacy and I to be. And it's not a boast. It's just saying that we go where God, we bloom where God has planted us. 
And there's work for the kingdom to do that will endure past this life. So my choice is, do I stay in corporate America and and keep doing management in Colorado and all that? Or do I go back because God had called us uh, and we, my wife and I both felt very strongly. He's called us to pastor this little church up in Newburgh, Oregon. And uh, I got to tell you, it's one of the best decisions we ever made. Uh, That's, gosh, we're in our sixth year here and it seems amazing to, that's amazing (laughs) to think about. But Paul counted the cost. He wanted, he needed, uh, he was compelled to go back and to strengthen the churches that he and Barnabas had planted on their first journey. Now, in the sixth slide here, I want to look at the Cilician Gates. This is what they look like today. It's not like a gateway, but it is a mountain pass. It's no different than any of the mountain passes we see, like if we go over Highway 58 or Highway 20 or whatever it is, going over the Cascades here. If you look in the mountains in the background, those, again, this is a, a, this is, they had to walk. And they walked over this mountain range to get to the work that God had laid out for them to do. Uh, by the way, the Salesian Gates today is still the only uh, major pass in this region through the Taurus Mountains. Now in slide seven, we see the rem- remnants of a Roman road. They didn't have highways like you see in slide six. But the Romans had built a complex series of roads all through the empire. They were known for road building. They opened up the known world at that time to be able to travel. Uh, And they encouraged people, by the way, to travel in groups uh, for safety from animals, from wolves or bears, uh, also for safety from robbers. It wasn't like, I remember when I was younger, and I don't think you could buy them that much anymore because everything's digital, but when I was going to go on a trip, I'd go down to the bank and I'd pick up a bunch of traveler's checks because they were safer to have. And uh, you, couldn't, you couldn't do that here. If you traveled, you had to take your money with you. And robbers knew that, so they frequented these remote traveling places, these remote roads around the empire, and they were known for being ruthless with the people that they encountered. So... The Romans encouraged people to travel in groups. And now here we have Paul and Silas. We don't know if they were walking along with others, probably. Uh, But that was part of what they had to do as they walked through the empire on these roads. Now, in slide eight, we see here's a toppled milestone on a Roman road. This is actually in Galatia. And that's where we get the word milestone. The Romans put these round pillars up and they marked distances throughout the empire on their roads. It's very much for them 2,000 years ago, like when we see the green sign with the white letters. I mean, <laughs> that's exactly what they did. So it, it was a, a road system that was complex. It was sophisticated for that time. It was wide enough for wheeled traffic so they could get their chariots and their wagons and all that to go through. And the milestones were placed throughout. Now, Got a close-up of a milestone here in, in, in slide nine. Uh, and, and I was looking at this, and I think it says Wilsonville Costco, next exit. <laughs> but, but who knows? At any rate, uh, I saw the COS on there. I thought, maybe it's Costco. Yeah. All right, verse one. <laughs> All of that to get us to verse one. It says, then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So now in the 10th slide here, we see these three cities are pretty close together. Uh, they're not very far apart at all. Uh, and chapter 14 tells us that while Paul and Barnabas, they didn't, have it, they didn't meet any resistance at Derby, they had a lot of trouble at Iconium and Lystra. At Iconium, they'd seen a, a great many people come to believe. The church just exploded there as they shared the gospel with the people. <laughs> and yet they ticked some people off as well. A, a big crowd got stirred up and they were coming after Paul and Barnabas to kill them. And so they had to leave in a hurry. It was like, drop what you're doing and go. <laughs> That's what we're told in chapter 14. At Derby, interestingly enough, uh, Paul had healed a lame guy 
he had miraculously healed him. That was one of the things that the apostles had the ability to do. Remember when Jesus sent his men out and he gave them, he gave them power and authority to do the same kind of miracles that he did. The apostles had the same, apostolic authority was the same thing. They could heal at will. And, and I, I get a little suspicious with, quote, healers today because a lot of times that's just not what's going on. However, so Paul heals this lame guy and the people mistook he and Barnabas for Greek gods. They thought, oh, here's, here's Zeus. They thought Barnabas was Zeus. I don't know, maybe he looked more Greek than Paul did. And they looked at, at Paul as though he was Hermes. And they said, no, 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 you guys got it all wrong. No, we are not. We are men just like you. Because uh, they were getting ready to sacrifice animals to them. And I mean, it was a big deal. And, and they backed him off from that. Well, then these same people that had thought that they were gods, when they found out that they weren't, and the Jews came in and stirred them up, they stoned Paul and they drug him out of the city and left him for dead. So again, Galatians, <laughs> doing what Galatians do. They were, they were a pretty ornery bunch. Uh, and I, yeah, I have to say, I still laugh to myself when I read about uh, that. And I picture Paul getting up, says that he got up, dusted himself off, and he walks straight back into the city. He's like, I'll show them, you know, and all that. He goes back. He leaves the next day for Derby. But again, courageous. It's just a, a lot of courage with this guy. Well, it was evidently during this time that a young guy named Timothy, as well as his family, had come to believe. Uh, while these things are going on and, and seeing the miracles, perhaps seeing these men stand up against impossible odds and prevail uh, with bringing the gospel of Christ. Now, it says that, that Timothy, he, his mother and his grandmother had come to believe as well uh, and that he's called Paul's true son in the faith. Uh, Paul talks about that when he writes a, a, his letter to Timothy, uh, his first letter, in first, about 15 years, 12, 15 years later. But he came to faith through his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. We see that in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. And it's significantly that his mother was Jewish and his father was Greek. That does play an important part in understanding Timothy's being useful to the Lord. As, Paul, as Timothy joins Paul and Silas, now all three of these guys, because Silas, we see again, when he is with Paul at the Philippian jail, we'll, we'll look at that next week. Paul says, look, we are Romans. So evidently Silas had Roman citizenship, even though he was a Jew that came out of Jerusalem. Well, now here we see that Timothy has a, a Jewish mother and a Greek father. That would make him a citizen of Rome. Paul himself, born in Tarsus of Cilicia. We just looked at Cilicia. He was born there at Tarsus. He was a Roman citizen, but he was also a Jew, educated in Jerusalem, sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and was, he was a big deal in Israel, in Judaism, in that day. The reason that's important, and we'll see later when we look at it next week, is Roman law treated Jews very, very differently than it does Roman citizens. Uh, and we'll see that. I mean, the, uh, if you were a Jew and not a Roman citizen, you did not have the same rights as these guys. So now we have three guys that are perfectly outfitted to be able to, to travel about the empire and to travel relatively freely to bring the gospel of Christ to these people who had never even heard it before. Uh, I think it's remarkable what God does in this. Think about too with John Mark. Say that John Mark had stayed with Paul and that he was with Paul on this second journey. He would not have been able to do the things that Paul and Silas were able to do. He would not have had the same rights. And so God in his foreknowledge, again, he's always working ahead of us, folks. I don't know what you're facing in your life, but you got to trust. You got to know he is always working ahead of us. We don't know what's going on. We don't see around the next corner, but he does. 
Very important. Paul didn't see what was going on. He didn't understand. He was pretty upset about it. And yet God was just quietly working, moving, orchestrating people, orchestrating events to accomplish his purposes in the lives of a great many people. It's worth mentioning, too, that God was not finished with John Mark. I've mentioned it before. After his time with Barnabas, he'd go back to Jerusalem. He would become very close with the apostle Peter. And in 1 Peter 5, Paul ref- Peter refers to Silvanus, that's Silas, uh, who would carry his first letter. Uh, he refers to Silas as his brother. So these guys, you know, I was thinking about this as a preparing, because when you read the Bible, and you, at first glance, you think it's about a whole bunch of people. And it is about a whole bunch of people as far as the converts, the people coming to Christ, the people getting saved. But it's really about a relatively small group of men and women who turned the world upside down. And these guys, uh, Peter, again, he refers to Silas or Silvanus uh, as his brother. He refers to Mark as his son. Now, Paul looked at Timothy as his protege, uh, the person that he would pour into. And Timothy would go on to be the pastor at the church in Ephesus and all of that. But Peter does the same thing with John Mark. As the years went by, uh, many think that the, the the gospel according to Mark, which Mark wrote that that's Peter's memoirs that he dictated to Mark and Mark wrote down that we get the benefit of today. Verse three, now Paul wanted to have him go on with him and he took and have Timothy go on with him. So he took him and he, ha, and he had him circumcised because of the Jews who were in that region for they all knew that his father was Greek. Now, when it, just a side note, when it says his father was Greek, it's uh, a little bit debated. When they talk about that, the tense indicates that perhaps his father was dead. We don't know. We do know that his mother played a prominent role. But after the flap that had arisen at the church in Antioch, Syria, regarding circumcision, the question becomes, why would Paul now circumcise Timothy? And it's an interesting thought. And sometimes scholars grapple with that. I don't think that it's anything that I don't struggle with it at all. Because the answer is that Paul wanted Timothy to be able to work with the Jews. That's what we're told in the text. By the way, there's a principle for Bible interpretation. When in doubt, go with the simplest explanation. And the explanation is here. Paul wanted to be able to work with the Jews in the region. They knew that Timothy was a Greek. He knew that that could be a stumbling block for them. And so he said, Timothy, how do you feel about getting circumcised? That wasn't something that he did for everybody. It was not a command. It wasn't an edict. It came by way of a suggestion so that Timothy would be more more useful to the people to whom he ministered. Uh, So it wasn't a compromise. And I want to point that out. Uh, uh, With the Judaizers, uh, number one uh, of the results of the Jerusalem Council, as we see in verse 4, it, it would have contradicted that if this was if this was if Paul was making this a rule, you got to be circumcised. You know, what's not what he's doing? The other thing is that we see in Galatians chapter two, <coughs> excuse me, Galatians chapter two, verse three, that he refused to have Titus circumcised. Why? Titus was a Greek. There was no they they knew that Titus was who he was. So he refused that with Titus. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I think this is the main reason we see that Paul's choosing to become all things to all men, that he did that in order that he may win some. He says to the Jew as a Jew, to the Gentile as a Gentile, and so on and so on. So what he's doing here is he's essentially, again, counting cost. He always put people and their salvation as a priority And he was teaching Timothy by example to do the same thing. Verse four. So as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. Again, the reason Paul wanted to go back, he wanted to strengthen the churches, but he also wanted to correct this wrong thinking that the Jews in those regions, a lot of Jews were converting and they were saying, okay, Christianity is an extension of Judaism. And Paul's saying, not so fast. No, it's not. It is completely distinct, separate from Judaism. 
And you as a Jew can be saved. And the Jews wrestled with that. They wrestled. They did not like that they would observe Torah their whole life to have good standing with God. And now these, these creepy Gentiles could just come in and say, I believe. And yet that was the program. That was what God did. When the gospel came, it's freely offered to all men. It's just like, all you have to do is turn from your old ways, repent of your sin and embrace Christ. That's the gospel. It's not salvation by grace plus circumcision. It's salvation by grace through faith, period. To add anything to that is to say the cross wasn't enough. And that's just, I don't buy that and I never will. So they brought these decrees to the churches saying, look, uh, this is what the apostles have said in Jerusalem. I'll just to recap real quickly. It's only two verses from the previous chapter in chapter 15, verses 28 and 29. Verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit for us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. That you abstain from things sacrificed to idols. That was a stumbling block. That you abstain from blood and from things strangled. That was against the kosher rules of the Jews. It wasn't mandatory, but it was, look, y'all want to get along together just stay away from that. These were designed to produce unity in the church and from acts of sexual immorality because the whole, the, the, the Jews had a moral compass. The law of Moses was very clear about sexual immorality. The Gentiles, not so much. It was a free fall out there as far as a moral, the way that people lived morally. Their morality was anything goes very much like you see in our world today. And, and, and the apostles were saying, no, no, get away from that. Get away from that. Because that was their lifestyle. As a result, no longer would it be Jew and Gentile, but through the apostles' decrees, the church could be unified. And that's the point. Uh, the decrees would prove to be vital uh, we know that the Judaizers stirred up a great deal of trouble in this region after Paul had evangelized and planted churches there. And you read the book of Galatians and you see that a huge part of that book is because they, a false doctrine had entered the church. Now the attack wasn't coming from the, 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 the crowds outside like they faced when they went through Galatia the first time. Now the attack was coming from the inside. Now the attack was coming from bad doctrine being produced in the church. And, and Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You have believed another gospel. And if anybody gives you a gospel different than the one I gave you, he calls down a curse from God. He says, let them be anathema. Let them be accursed. Strong language. Very important, critically important that we understand. You don't mess with the gospel. You don't mess with the message that Jesus came, that he died for your sins, that he rose from the dead, and he wants to give you life. He offers that freely. You just don't add to it. Verse 6, now when they had gone through Phrygia in the region region of Galatia, they were forbidden. They were thwarted, that's what that word means, by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. I think that that's just an interesting statement. They would be forbidden Yeah, they were forbidden. Now, in the first century, Asia was not the vast continent that we see as it is today. I mean, you look at, you know, the whole, (laughs) the former Soviet Union, Russia and all that goes all the way across the continent. That's not what it was. As you see in map 11 here, uh, well, actually zoom to map, map 11 has an inset and then map 12 it zooms up on the inset. Asia was, it was a smaller region. It was a region in the subcontinent of Asia Minor. And that's what the Romans called, as they organized their empire, they called that region Asia, modern day Turkey. So as you can see on the map, the men would need to travel through Asia as they're headed west. Now they're going west. You see the red line. This is a second missionary journey and the red line is their, the direction of travel that they're going, and they're headed all the way across. Uh, and after they finish in Galatia, the Holy Spirit said, no, don't preach here. We don't know why. 
I, I, I don't know, but God did. And that's the important thing. Perhaps it was to protect them. Perhaps there were perils they couldn't see. Perhaps Paul's health was still compromised and the Holy Spirit was simply slowing him down. The important thing here is that they were attuned to the Spirit. They were spending time, no doubt, spending time in prayer. They were spending time listening to what God was showing them as they went along. And the Holy Spirit said, no, don't do that here. As good as that might sound, Because after all, I mean, they're passing through towns and cities and all. The Holy Spirit said, no, just keep going. Verse 7, after they had come to Mycenae, you can see on the map there, Mycenae is sort of the northern part just to the the south of Bithynia. Uh, They tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So they go through Asia and the Holy Spirit essentially says, don't stop. They get to the western side of Asia and they are seriously considering, let's go north and let's go into Bithynia. Let's go preach the gospel there. And the Holy Spirit again says, no, I don't want you to do that. (laughs) So, yeah, I remember I came out of Bible college in the mid 80s and spent about a year in Southern California uh, working with a guy who was a brother in the Lord and, and uh, just had a, a fabulous time there. And I sensed the Lord calling me to Northern California. So I thought, well, you know, and I, I got out the map and I started praying and I, I put some fleeces down before the Lord and, and, uh, and all. And, and I thought, you know, I think that maybe what I need to do is to move to Grass Valley, California, which is east of Sacramento, beautiful area up in the mountains. Uh, and so I got up to Northern California was staying with some relatives and I thought, I'm going to go check it out and see what kind of houses are available and all of that. Called the pastor at Calvary Chapel up there. He goes, well, yeah, you're welcome here, but don't you start another Calvary Chapel? I just laughed. So I tried to go up there and my car broke down. Oh, that's weird, you know, and and literally on the road, it goes chug, 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 chug. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm not going to Grass Valley today, so... I go back, I get it fixed, and a couple of days later, I'm headed to Grass Valley again. My car broke down again. And I thought, well, Lord, maybe you're trying to show me something here. About that time, I started thinking about Bithynia. And, and I ended up going to this little, you know, little remote grocery store and picking up the, the local paper at a little town called Gridley. Uh, and I had never heard, I didn't know what a gridley was. As you guys know, I grew up in the Mormon church, and, I, and then I come to find out that gridley's got the highest per capita population of Mormons west of Salt Lake City at the time. I don't know if it still does. Well, I found this little house, and then I found that there was a little church. It was uh, about like this, I mean, just a small Calvary Chapel church that uh, was there. I ended up being there for 20 years. And it was because the Lord prevented me from going to Grass Valley. I just thought it was remarkable. I thought, that's amazing. <laughs> so, Anyway, regardless of why, we know that significant divine appointments would lie ahead for these two men, for Paul and Silas. And now the third, Timothy, going with them. Because at their next stop in Troas... Uh, they would meet a doctor whose name was Luke. And we know that because we see that Luke's narrative here in the book of Acts changes from they, from Troas forward, changes to we. Uh, Luke is a very humble man, and in his modesty about the scriptures prevents him from writing about himself. We don't know a whole lot about Luke. And that's on purpose. It's sort of like in the Gospel of John, where John doesn't ever say, oh, I, John, the guy that, you know, he says, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. It was, again, it was his, his humility. He, he wasn't there to pull attention onto himself, but he wanted the attention to go where it belonged. And it was on the Lord Jesus and upon these people, these men who were carrying out the work. And that's what Luke did. Uh, through that meeting, in the time which followed, uh, Luke would chronicle the gospel according to Luke. Uh, and he wasn't one of the apostles. He, did not ju- he didn't know Jesus personally, but he was able to 
obtain information along the way. And he wrote the, the gospel according to Luke. And he also wrote the book that we're currently studying, the Acts of the Apostles. Actually, they were written as one literary unit originally, and then they were split later on because one goes all the way up to the cross, the resurrection, the ascension. And one, that's where the gospel of Luke ends. And, and then... Uh, the book of Acts begins at that same place. I mean, you could go, you could skip right from the end of Luke to the beginning of Acts and see that there's a perfect flow to it. Verse eight, so passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. Now Troas would be on the, on the coast, uh, coastal city there, the northern Aegean Sea. From here, folks, they will cross and the gospel would go to Europe. Uh, this is their last stop in the Asian continent. And when they cross over and they are on the other side there in Macedonia, uh, we'll talk about that next week because Paul has a vision of a Macedonian beckoning them to come. And we see that they, um, uh, obedient to that call, now there's four of them, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, and they will pick up and cross the sea, go over to the other side, end up in a city. Eventually, they'll still make a couple of stops, but eventually in a larger city called Philippi. It's where we get the book Philippians in the New Testament, where he writes back to the church at Philippi later on. But we'll pick it up there next week and, and look at all of that. But as we wrap up this morning, <coughs> excuse me, I want to toss a few thoughts out. The first is this, the Apostle Paul, as I mentioned, he counted the costs and they were significant. They were very significant costs and he pressed on, he pressed forward. Eventually his service to the Lord would cost him his life. We know that he would be executed on the steps of the forum in Rome. His head would be taken off. Timothy, uh, we're not told in the word, but we're told through secular sources, Josephus and others. Uh, Timothy would eventually be beaten to death at Ephesus. He would go on to pastor the church at Ephesus, which is a huge metropolitan city. And we'll get into Ephesus towards the end of his second missionary journey. That's where they plant the church. Uh, But Timothy, again, he would not have an easy go. Timothy would be a young pastor dealing with people that were uh, trying to exert a lot of pressure on him in the church. And he would have to combat false doctrine uh, on a significant level. Paul writes to him, First and Second Timothy are encouraging letters saying, look, stand against it. This is how you deal with it. Timothy, again, his protege, his, the one that he, Paul would pour into for years. They would become the best of friends. And Timothy would be the one when Paul was on death row that that Paul would write back and he'd say, you know, could you maybe visit? And it's cold here. Bring my cloak, bring the scrolls. I want to go through some stuff with you and all of that. A very tender relationship between these two men. But the point is, there's a cost to serving Christ. The question becomes, have you counted the cost? Now, chances are it's not going to be as extreme as we see here. I mean, these guys go through some, I mean, looking at the manner in which they traveled, the roads that they had, the the dangers they faced, the the violent people that were in their way regularly. However, as we near the end of the age, and I believe we are very near, I truly do, I'm fearful. I'm just going to say it. I fear that the church has gone soft. I fear that we have stopped counting the cost and we just want to be comfortable. And folks, let me exhort you. Now is not the time to be a comfortable believer. Now is the time, yes, it's blessed. I'm not saying it's not. But it's time to count the cost. It's time to say, Lord, is there work for me to do? Are there souls who need to be saved? Is there things, are there things in my life, in my family, in the church here? Are, I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. And I know those of you that know after my heart attack, when I dropped dead in a parking lot last August, that as I came back, as my body came back online after a month in the hospital, I began to realize I was soft. I had grown pretty soft. 
And that doesn't mean that I'm some radical nut going to be out there wearing a sandwich sign marching up and down the street. But it does mean I want to take the things of God seriously to the point where I look at the cost and I say, you know what, Lord? So be it. I want my life to count. And that's the point. These guys were invested. They wanted their lives to count. Our focus can't be inward. It must be outward. And I don't know uh, what God has you doing uh, or if you're serving him in some capacity, that's great. Again, this isn't to beat the sheep. This is to encourage you if you're not serving the Lord or if you can serve him in greater capacity. And again, I don't know what that is. Lean into the work. I guarantee you that there are eternal stakes and there are eternal rewards that are tied to that. Are you listening? Are you in sync with the Holy Spirit? Probing questions. The second thing I want to wrap up with here is is I was speaking with someone this week, I think it was Barbara, uh, about there was a book out many years ago called Experiencing God by a guy by the name of Henry Blackaby. And in it, Blackaby demonstrates that there's a difference between us advancing our own agenda and inviting God then to come along with our program and the difference being or discerning what God is doing and joining him in it. These guys, they wanted to go to Bithynia. They wanted to preach the gospel in Asia. And God said, no, they were using the gift of discernment. And it's a very, very important, critically important spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit gives to us. Varying measures, I get it. But are you discerning God's will uh, in what it is when we talk about serving him? Like I said, I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. At least I trust that it is. I hope I'm not going down the wrong road. I don't believe I am. But it's a, it's a matter of discernment, folks. It's a matter of identifying where God is leading and then leaning into that, not saying, well, I'm going to do this and then come on, God, let me pull you into this. That's the wrong approach. How do you do that? I'll tell you what, it comes through prayer. It comes through being attuned, as I said, to the Holy Spirit and to his leading and his prompting in my life. He also will align circumstances. He'll bear witness. I love the Proverbs says there's safety or there's victory in a multitude of counselors. Very often as I bounce things off of, I remember when the Lord called me to Bible college, I went to my pastor and I said, I think that, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm like this sign painter, and I, but I think God wants me to go to Bible college. And this is what he has done and this is how he's provided and da, da, da. And literally my pastor, who was a very conservative, I mean, very conservative guy, started jumping around and dancing in the sanctuary as, and going, yes. He had been praying for exactly what I was showing him. And I, well, I guess that's a confirmation. That's good. <laughs> and I said, that's amazing. No, I didn't. Corey Ten Boom said, it's not my ability, but my response to God's ability that counts. I like that. Now, remember, too, that God works in the natural, supernatural. And remember, Silas, again, as I mentioned, he just decided to stick around Antioch. Well, some things are going on here, and, you know, this is kind of cool. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Uh, But, you know, I don't think I'll go back to Jerusalem just yet. Let's kind of see what happens. (laughs) He would be used to alter history. And and again, it's just a matter of, are you available? Are you available? He's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. And are you available for the master to use? Are you available for his hands to be your hands, for his mouth to be your mouth, for his feet, for your feet to be his feet, to, to be the one? Maybe you're telling yourself, I'm too busy. Maybe you're telling yourself, well, I'm too old. That's for young whippersnappers. No, think about Chuck and Joanne last week telling us about at 75 years old running off to Kenya twice. I just love that. I love their their enthusiasm for the mission field. Maybe you say, well, I don't have the skills. I don't have the money. I don't have the aptitude. Challenge, I challenge you. If, If your life is filled with, well, I don't, Why don't you set that aside and realize, where's the focus? It's on you. Let the focus go on to him. His sufficiency. His gifts. His enablements. His plan. 
These guys were doing that. Turn the world upside down. Billy Graham said, you give me 10 men who are sold out for the gospel of Christ and I'll give you the world. And he did. Great stuff. The point in all of that, step out. Step out in faith. Will you make mistakes? Yeah. (laughs) I've made some doozies. But the point is I'd rather step out and risk than to just be in a place where I'm safe and I'm comfy and I'm cozy and I'm warm and I'm not really having an impact on the kingdom that God would use me to have. Let's pray. Father, as we take this brief look and this brief jaunt through uh, these first eight verses here in uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy's first journey going across, or second journey, uh, Lord, for Paul anyway, I'm just amazed at the obstacles that these men endured and at the things that they faced and the perils and all, Lord. Uh, I'm so encouraged, Lord, that you use regular men. These are just regular guys to do do extraordinary things. So I pray for my brothers and sisters here, Lord, uh, that you would use us, uh, Lord, that you would inspire us. And and for anybody here or or people online that perhaps don't know you, they would see that there's a whole life that will open up to them through simply saying yes to Jesus. If we've been wrestling, Lord, I pray that we would take those things we're wrestling with and lay them at the foot of the cross and simply trust you in perhaps new ways. Lord, your work in our lives is so completely uh, off the charts amazing. We're blessed, we're humbled, we're excited to be people that are alive in this day that are simply available for your use. We give ourselves afresh to you. Father, we pray that you would speak to us in the days ahead. Take and by your Holy Spirit, work your word into our hearts that it would be for your glory, Lord, that it would be that we could shine the light of the gospel on others around us and on you. We give ourselves afresh to you in Jesus' name. Amen.